welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nikki. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul wrote this letter to believers in the early church in Ephesus, and he also wrote it for us today. And he starts verse 1 there with an urging of us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And this is not simply a request, but it's a plea, an imploring, a begging, earnestly or even desperately. There is something important going on here, and to illustrate that, I'm going to paraphrase a story that Jesus once told. The story comes from Matthew 20. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's of a business owner that hired some staff very early in the day. Hours later, he hired some more. And then at lunchtime, again, some more. An hour before the end of the day, the business owner noticed some workers standing around and asked them, why are you here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they responded. Come work for me, the business owner offered. 
Soon it was evening, and the business owner settled the day's wages. To all, he paid the same amount. And this upset the workers who started earlier in the day. That's not fair. We were here for much longer. We deserve more. I'm not being unfair, the business owner replied. You got what we agreed. You have not lost out. Can I not be generous with my own business? And on face value, that doesn't really seem fair, but it's a remarkable story. It's unheard of for two workers of similar skill to get paid the same daily rate, even if only for an hour of productive effort. But have you ever stopped to think about those workers who are hired late in the day? And I want you to picture this in your, in your mind. You've got a family to feed, bills to pay. You start the day full of optimism. With a bounce in your step, you get to the marketplace early, full of hope, full of excitement for what that day might bring. Prospective employers come, and you maintain your smile as you get overlooked, as those beside you are getting hired. You hold hope. The day wears on, and again, you've been overlooked numerous times. And no matter how hard you try, joy, you can't help but joy will turn into anguish. You're now just hanging around until evening, resigned to the fact that you'll be going home soon, empty-handed. And so how are you feeling right now? But then unexpectedly, you're hired, if only for an hour. So now how do you feel? Are you grateful? Will you give it your all? And of course you would. What a blessing, not just to earn a little bit of money, but the blessing of being included, able to be productive, to get your hands dirty, the opportunity to work. And we all need to realise that those workers that were hired an hour before closing, those workers that were given the opportunity to add value and participate in receiving a reward for their labour, those workers are you and I. You see, Paul penned this letter to the church at Ephesus, reminding them of what Christ had done and how blessed they are. A couple of pages earlier, in chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, he writes, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> Paul's saying that it wasn't all that long ago that Gentiles, you and I, referred to as the uncircumcised, were on the outer, the unhired workers, separate and cut off from God and his promises. But now, in this final hour, we are hired, we're included, we're given the opportunity to work and to receive a reward. And that's such an incredible blessing. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. It's not a command to work to walk worthy, but for us to recognize that, such, that with such blessing that we've received comes a corresponding responsibility for certain conduct. My wife and I have 
mostly moved into our new house, and there's still some items to be completed, such as a backyard fence for our dogs. In the morning, we put our Kelpie out, it's called Theo, and he's got about 30 meters of tether because we don't have a fence. And lately, the weather has been so miserable. He sits on the hill, shivering, watching us through the windows. And so we bring him in, into the laundry, into the shelter and the warmth. But once he's in there, he proceeds to bark nonstop. If I could urge Theo to act worthily, I would. He's forgotten that moments ago he was out in the rain, 70 kilometer per hour winds bearing down on him. He's now in some shelter, but he barks, he wants to go outside. And it's the same way with us, we forget. Paul's wanting us to recognize and not forget the opportunity that we've been presented with. To remember the contrast of how we felt while unhired and the burst of motivation that we felt when we were hired. To make the most of the opportunity in this last hour and deliver work that is commensurate to the blessing to live a life worthy. And when is payment received? Well, it's received at the end of the hour. There's work to be done in this final hour. And so I urge us, as Paul urged, to not forget the blessing that we have and to live a life that's worthy. Now here in chapter 4, Paul starts getting practical. In chapter 2, he showed us what Jesus has done, taking two cultural groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, breaking down the barriers that divided them and remaking them into something new the body of Christ. And in verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, one new humanity out of two. And now in chapter 4, we start to see actually how we do this thing that's called the body of Christ. We do it together. We walk together. We've been called to follow Jesus, to be like him. So we are to live our lives in such a way that bring him glory, but also to do it together to grow as one team, so that his church can grow. Living a life worthy means together in community. And Paul highlights that though we've been called individually, we are now a team with a common purpose, a common direction. In verse 4 of, uh, of chapter 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of them all. And do you see a pattern here? How many occurrences in this passage of me, myself, and I? There's none. What's Paul driving home in this, in verse 4? It's one. And it doesn't mean one as in individually, but collectively we are one. As one body, guided by one spirit. We share a commonality of the same hope that drives the purpose behind why we are together. Paul's speaking of Christ's gift, his church, one community together in fellowship, fellowship of, of believers. There was, um, in 2009, I was in Hungary and I went to a church there one Sunday and in this very different place that Budapest was, I found the church to have a very familiar feel. Though aspects of the service were different, the message was on point. 
and the people were recognisable. I was surprised, but it shouldn't be surprising at all, because Christ's gift, his church, is supposed to be one community, together in fellowship, regardless of where on earth those believers are gathering. In verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of that, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's a unity, and the unity is unified by the Spirit. Paul emphasises to make every effort to keep that unity. You can't keep something that you don't already have, so we should have unity. And earlier Paul reminded us that we've now been included. Two races have been brought together as one humanity through the blood of Christ. But what does the effort of keeping that humanity, that, that unity look like? Well, it's there in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Christian humbleness means to put aside our individualistic urges, our sense of superiority, and remember Christ is the head. He's the one to be glorified. Christian gentleness is how we express the humbleness, a reflection of our demeanour. It's only when we're humble and gentle that we can be patient. And through humbleness, we, should, we serve patiently. And we're to bear with one another. There is so much diversity in our population, people of all shapes and sizes, ages, hairstyles, grooming habits. The list goes on. And later during morning tea, if you need to start the conversation with, I am to bear with you in love. You have my permission, but of course, you ought to expect a reciprocal response. In this unity, we have to bear with each other because we are one and we bear with each other in love. Recognising that we've all been called. And when we have an attitude of humbleness and gentleness and have learnt patience, then bearing with each other is not only possible, but it will happen because we have been unified through the Spirit. We are in community. And there's a passage in Psalm 133 that's so eloquent. Verses 1 to 3, how good and pleasant uh, it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Living a life worthy means growing together in community. And unity doesn't mean just uniformity. There is diversity in our unity and we grow together using our talents. Back into Ephesians 4, at verse 7, but to each of us grace has been giving given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The grace Paul speaks of here is not the saving grace, but the serving grace. Christ has apportioned to each of us gifts, skills, talents. And these are to be used, as it says in verse 12, for works of service. The descending, ascending language 
reminds us of the fact that Jesus was prophesied the long-awaited Messiah. And he's rightfully over all things. He's the one that has the authority and the ability to gift and to fill believers for his work. And these are the gifts of the Spirit that are spoken about in Paul's other writings. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 10, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And then that passage goes on to list a handful of gifts, but the point is they're given for the common good. And then Paul shifts on to some other gifts that are quite specific in verses 11 and 12. These gifts are specific for the church, which include those who are in leadership and teaching and preaching roles. In other words, Christ gives some believers to be a gift at each local gathering for building up the body of Christ. In verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What do these words mean? Well, I've put on the screen some references in Scripture to, to some context, I suppose, that describes them. Apostles are linked to the foundation of the early Christian community. In Ephesians 3.5, they're qualified as holy apostles. In Ephesians 2.20, they're built on the foundation of the apostles of the prophets, which Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Paul counts himself as one, but he qualifies that, that he's the least of all. Apostles is referring to Paul and the other 11 disciples who were foundational in the the formation of the early church. Prophets. And so Paul here is not referring to the Old Testament prophets, but he's referring to the prophets that were there in Paul's own time. In Acts 15.32, it refers to Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen believers. These people were prompted by the Spirit to speak, and the Spirit reveals mysteries to them for the edification of the church. Then there's evangelists, and the evangelists were special people who were equipped to go from place to place to preach the gospel. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul is commissioning Timothy. He's saying, but you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy's being asked to do the work of an evangelist. And then there's pastors and teachers. And that word literally translates to shepherds. And the word shepherd wasn't new. It was used throughout the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And it's about someone who guides, who takes care of, who leads. Someone who feeds, someone who grows. We come together at church not to participate in audience, but to be equipped by those that Jesus has gifted with knowledge, encouragement, and to be reminded about the gospel 
and what Christ has done for us. To remember that we are in this final hour and it was only moments ago that we were unhired. We forget, but we come together so that we don't forget. When we come together, we're rejuvenated from the week that's just passed. We're also equipped for the week that's going to follow. If we don't keep fellowship, how are we going to be equipped? Our fellowship together will grow if we use our gifts and our talents for the common good of this community and for equipping each other. Living a life worthy means using our gifts together in community. And then verse 13 begins with, until we all reach unity. And it seems to contradict verse 3, which said, which spoke of keeping the unity. The unity being maintained and kept in verse 3 is what Christ achieved through his blood in bringing us all together as community. But the unity here spoken about in verse 13 is a goal. It's to be attained by all of us and requires each of us individually to press forward, to grow in maturity, so that corporate unity can be attained. Reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Paul here isn't talking about physical maturity, but spiritual maturity. We have to be grounded in our faith that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins so that we might have eternal life. We need to grow in our knowledge of Christ, which includes gathering together to be equipped. And we, if we are truly seeking the knowledge of Christ, then other priorities in life are going to look less attractive. Idols that, that once might have had a high place of importance might need to be put aside. What once occupied our mind and heart are now gone as nothing compares to Christ. As we grow to maturity, so too will our love for God and for others grow. And so too will the fruits of, our, of the spirits increase. As verse 13 concludes, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I'm sure you'll recognize there are practical reasons to grow. Maturity delivers an arsenal for us to draw upon so we can defend ourselves defend our faith, and stay strong. As alluded to in verse 14, we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Then there's this illustration, through maturity and growing together, of a body that's growing, filled with mature Christians, each with their own part to play, guided by the head, which is, in, which is Christ. In verse 15, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body joined, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This illustration is the church and summarizes some of the elements that we've looked at today that we've been hired, but we now participate in this body 
that we grow together in community, that we grow using our gifts and talents, and we grow towards maturity. And so how might we apply this into, into the way we approach each day and how we approach our weeks? Well, I've put up a couple of bullet points there, but one thing we can consider is cultivating humility and gentleness. That comes from our, verse, our earlier verses there in verse 2 and 3. Start each day with a, surrender, a prayer of surrender, acknowledging our need for God's grace and his guidance. Practice humility by putting the needs and interests of others before our own. Embrace gentleness by speaking words of kindness and grace, even in challenging situations. Look for opportunities to serve and bless others throughout the day, reflecting on the selfless love that is Christ. We can pursue unity and peace, regularly examining our relationships and attitudes, seeking reconciliation and forgiveness where needed, fostering an environment of unity by actively listening to each other, understanding the diverse ideas and, and opinions, being intentional about building bridges and promoting peace in our interactions, both online and offline, and praying for unity within the body of Christ to work towards breaking down barriers that might divide us in the body. And utilising our gifts, beginning each day by surrendering our gifts and abilities to God, asking him to show us how we can use them for his glory. Staying open to the leading of the Spirit, who may prompt us to use our gifts in unexpected ways. And regularly assessing, are we stewarding our gifts, asking ourselves if we're maximising their impact for the kingdom. In this final hour, we are called to grow as one team, so that this church can grow. We have been hired, and our reward is coming. I remind you of the urging that Paul gave in verse 1 and ask you to reflect. What more can you do to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us. We thank you for your word that has the power to grow us. We remember the blood that you shed so that we can be in unity together. And we pray that you continue to urge us to use the gifts that you have given for the benefit of your church. And we pray for strengthening of our faith and maturing of our spirit so that we can do good works that are necessary to help your church grow. In your name, amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.